I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Thank you for joining us today on our program. We are fortunate to have Josefa with us today, and she's going to be talking about a survivor story, her own survivor story. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, and thank you so much for joining us today. I know these stories are frequently hard to share and difficult to talk about things that have happened, but um, coming through it and being on the other end of these situations, it's it's wonderful that our listeners get a chance to to see and hear firsthand that these survivor stories are real and can happen for them as well. So um, thank you for joining us today, and if you might be willing to share your story with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's always a little weird for me to say that I am a survivor. But you are a survivor. Trauma. Um, but I am. Um, my story actually starts in a different country. Um, my story starts in what we would probably consider third world, third world country um, effects. So no running water, no electricity, mm. dirt floors, um, little access to health care, um, little education. And most people in my, the village where I was born um, were subsistence farmers. So it was just a very simple way of life. Um, so growing up, I had a story, and this was the story that I'm going to tell. My, I was born in a family with a mom and dad. I had three brothers and three sisters. Um, my mom died, and my birth father was not able to take care of me anymore. Mm-hmm. Because of that, um, I had parents um, that came and adopted me. And my parents knew a couple that had been working um, as missionaries in my village. And so they helped with that adoption process, which is how I came to the States. And just you, not your siblings. Right. I was the youngest of the seven of us um, by quite a few years. Mm -hmm. So that was the story that I had for most of my life. And that's how I explained being adopted because I was adopted into a Caucasian family. So it made me stand out right away. That was the story I grew up with, and that was the story that I knew. Um, And then when I was 16, um, I had a dream. And in my dream, um, my dad had a knife and was chasing me around the house. And it bothered me enough that I talked to my mom about it. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) she had a conversation with my dad, and I remember... um, they're like, we need to talk to you. 
And I got that lump in my throat, like, ooh, something's going to happen. And it wasn't the, like, I'm in trouble lump. It was like, ooh, something's, we're having a family meeting. Mm -hmm. So they sat me down, and they said, my mom said to me, "Um, because of your dream, I think you're ready to hear what happened. And I said, okay. And um, they told me that my birth father had killed my birth mother. Oh, dear. So that's when a lot of the story started filling in. So what had happened is um, it's believed that my parents, my birth parents, were in a domestic violence relationship. Um, My birth father was an alcoholic, um, was also suffering depression from what we think And then it just escalated to the point where something happened. Um, And for me, what that did was the beautiful narrative that I'd had for most of my life was now almost a lie. Mm -hmm. And things started making sense because I had always been really sensitive to violence. Um, I had always avoided watching war movies um, horror movies still to this day freak me out. I don't watch them. Even when I was watching uh, movies with my friends, they would be like, Josefa, don't watch that. Um, so anything, anyways, things just started making way more sense to me, and um, especially after I knew that. Um, and then my parents would kind of tell me a little bit more about the whole process um, because they had to do so much work um, doing the adoption work in country and then out of the country. Um, and they actually will tell me um, when I was first taken out of the village with my parents um, that it was pretty early in the morning. And they had, um, when I woke up and kind of realized where I was, they said that I just started crying and screaming and um pointing back towards where my village was. What, what you knew. And How old were you when you were adopted? I was about a year and a half, a oh, little, wow. little less. Um, and, and even um, after uh, my birth mother had died, um, my sister, who is my caretaker, um, I would cry if she put me down. Um, so I had to be held all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think probably everybody in my birth family was pretty traumatized by the whole thing. And think. so you have a traumatized teenager taking care of a traumatized year and a half year old um so it was one of those i think that in general we tend to think that babies don't remember and i think that um with having that dream and um some other things that i'll talk about a little bit later um but when i was 18 i went back to my um my home village and this time it was specifically to meet my birth father. So he, well, maybe that comes out later. Um, hopefully you didn't go alone. No, I'm I was with, no, he was no. in jail. He wasn't he, in jail. He went to jail, which is also why it was so important for me to be adopted because I didn't have a caretaker anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had that opportunity and it was with the same uh, missionaries that had helped adopt me. Um, so there was like five of us, I think that had, that went. And I knew it advanced the reason for the trip. But here's the thing about um, filling in parts of the story that you don't know. And I had filled in the story that my birth father was this huge monster 
that he covered everything and and changed my entire life. So it was it was pretty heavy, um, and I came into that experience with that. So I knew in advance that I needed to do I needed to go on this trip, and I didn't want to. Mm. Um, but you know I think now that. I'm a little bit older. I'm so glad I did because one of the first times that I met my birth father, um, he was no longer that scary monster. He became a person. Mm-hmm. And that scary monster no longer scared me because he was a person and he had a face and a shape. And at that point, he had he was out of jail when I had seen him. Um, and if there's anything that I took away, it was he cannot have that power in my life anymore. Excellent. Um, so then I went to um, college and did a little bit more work um, of my own and processing and um, trying to figure out who I was as a person. Um, being adopted can feel very displaced because I didn't fit into either culture that mm-hmm. I was a part of. And so that was the work that I had to do was who am I in all of this? And I think some questions um, that adopted kids have is who am I? Where do I belong? And what's my place in the world? And it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, and I remember... Um, I was at home with my mom and I was doing the dishes and I was probably in my, I don't know, early 20s, mid 20s, somewhere in there. Um, And I was doing the dishes and I'd been having this fear. My parents had moved, so it was a different house. And I kept waking up in the middle of the night or early in the morning with this fear that somebody was gonna come get me. And I never understood, I didn't understand where that fear was coming from. And I feel like my mom knows everything. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I hope she hears this. <laughs> um, and, and so it was bugging me enough that um, I, she was sitting at the kitchen table and um, I was doing the dishes. And so I just threw it out there. Mom, I keep waking up and I keep having this fear. And I knew it inside that it was kind of irrational because we had a security system. My dog slept with me. It was nothing to do with my parents that anything would happen. It was just me. And my mom is sitting at the kitchen table reading a magazine, and I still remember this. And she, um, so I told her, and she was very casual about the whole thing. And she was like, I know why. And I stopped, and I was like, what? And she, she keeps paging through her magazine and she's like when we came to adopt you it was very early in the morning I had never known that before Mm -hmm. that was new information so I'm over here having this experience of like everything is just falling into place and like all of a sudden I understand where this is coming from Mm -hmm. and this irrational fear has now become rational and there's a reason behind it and it's not just me Um, making this up in my head so because my mom knew the answer to that one I threw out another one at her (laughs) um, because now she really does know everything right right. and 
um, because I was washing washing dishes. I was washing the knives, and, and I said to my mom, you know, I've always been super scared of knives. And my mom was like, I know why. And I'm like, ooh. But then as she started to say it, it was like, I remember, like, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. And my mom said, and she just talked over me, and she's like, your mom, your birth mom, died from machete wounds. Oh, my. I had never known that before. That was not something that I had ever known. So when I say babies remember. So obviously you were there at the time. Is what I can probably safely assume. Mm -hmm. Because there's no other explanation with the dream about my dad, Mm -hmm. with the fear that I've had my entire life. um, It's in there. And... um, and I still remember because my mom was just so casual flipping through her magazine and I'm over here like my whole life has just like fallen into place and it's this huge moment. Um, and um, yeah, so it really just changed my perspective of, you know, I've had many well-meaning people say, oh, you were a baby when you were adopted, so you don't remember. And I never understood why that didn't sit well with me until I started talking about some of this stuff. And like, yeah, it is actually in there. Oh, yeah. Um, and so this was, um, I don't know how many years ago, um, I was going through some important paperwork. And I was with my dad. Um, we were sorting through some things. And um, I found some of my adoption um things and when I was um, growing up and in, in really young I had to go to the doctor in order to be um, as part of the adoption process mm-hmm. and my parents had always told me that I was malnourished but I never like I always thought that was just a thing until I saw the actual doctor um, paperwork and it actually had a diagnosis of malnourishment and um I remember being like, wow, this was actually a legit thing. And in the process of going through some other paperwork, I found that um, there was a letter um, that I had or that my parents had, and it talked about the fear that my birth brothers and sisters had because they thought that someone in the village um, that looked like my birth father was in the village. And it terrified my um, birth siblings enough that they had to spend the night at the missionary's house. And I don't think I had realized until that moment how much fear there was in my family. your whole family. That I grew Mm -hmm. up with, even for that short amount of time. Um, And so, yeah, I just continued to to put these connections and make these connections and... um, just help bring so much understanding. Um, and I think the thing that I've really come to learn in asking those questions, who am I, where do I belong, and where is my place in this world, it took a lot to be able to work through all of, all of that and mm-hmm. to unpack that. And what I've, I've come to realize is that it can never be a thing uh, for me to find uh, belonging in other activities or other places, um, other jobs, it really has to start with me. And 
I love that identity is one of those things that you get to choose and you get to define. Mm -hmm. And um, I no longer had to be defined by my adoption. I got to choose to be my own person and to live my life the way that I want to live it. And that was really powerful for me because it was like finally I'm coming into my own and I'm coming into this purpose in, in life and, and this belonging is what I choose it to be. So I can be from one culture and one language. I can be from a different one. And I can still live both of those experiences. And you, you can be all of that. And I can be all of that, mm-hmm. both and. Um, which, and that's where, that's my place. Mm-hmm. That's where I belong is, is finding both of those combined. And I think my place in the world kind of came um, as I figured out what I want to do. And, and I think what helped me figure that out was um, a death of one of my friends when I was really young or when I was in my first year of college. And um, because that happened at one of those moments in life where you're trying to figure everything out, what I came to understand is that life is short. Mm -hmm. And if my life is going to be short, what do I want to do with my life? What's going to give it meaning and purpose? And I think having gone through the process and the journey of um, trying to answer those questions, what I came up with is that not only do um, I want to live a life um, being kind to people, but I also want to live a life that is full of adventure, Mm -hmm. that is full of risk and chance. And I would never have done that before. And you wouldn't be afraid of it. I wouldn't be afraid of it anymore. Because I had been for so long, and mm-hmm. I was so contained, and um, something that we don't often talk about in adoption is the grief and the loss. Mm-hmm. And you do lose a lot, and no amount of a wonderful family is ever going to really fill that that void, because there was belonging to something else. And the loss is still there, regardless the, of how good things are. The loss right. is always there. And I had this fear Um, because I was very contained almost my entire life. Uh, But what really brought me to, I think, feeling was this realization that, and I I think I did this in counseling, was I've had a lot of bad, hard um, losses. And I think I I had this thought that if I ever start crying – I'm never going to be able to stop Mm -hmm. because this is so deep and this is so painful and adoption goes to the core of who you are. And so I just didn't. But in the midst of that, I lost a lot of those feelings and those emotions because I wanted to stay safe. And the counseling work that I received was like, that's not the way to live your life. You can't live in fear. Mm Mm-hmm. And so moving forward from that was like, I'm going to choose to do the risky things in life and I'm going to take chances because I don't have to be afraid and I don't have to be afraid of um, failure because I've had so many ups and downs in my life that in comparison, it's like it was worth it, even if it's a learning experience and it didn't go the way I thought. Um, But I'm healed enough that I can move on from that. And... That's how I hope that um, I can be part of the world is um, 
it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. But it's really fun if you can live the adventure, even if that means you have to feel your feelings. Right. You don't want to miss any of those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're and you grow it. from them. Sure. Yeah. You need it because I feel like um, if you rush those experiences and you rush the healing process, that you're going to miss part of that journey. Well, and and as part of that journey, just because I can't be the only one wondering about, do you have any relationships with your birth family and how were your adoptive parents able to help you through this? Um, so no, because it's so remote. Um, and secondly, because having gone through the work, I don't feel like I need that connection anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, how my... How my parents supported me, um, to be honest, they I know that they love me, and I, they still love me, um, and I know that they were supportive of me. Um, I think a lot of it was actually mentors, mm-hmm. and I think it was my safe, trusted adults that I had in my life mm-hmm. that... Because there was this thing of, like, I didn't know the whole truth. It was like, I, can't, I don't know if I can trust my parents with this. And also, sometimes what happens with adopted kids is that you want to protect your parents from the thoughts or the feelings sure. that you're having. Because you don't want to hurt them or hurt sure. their feelings. So I think a lot of the work that I did was with um, my safe adults um, who were always really close but never pushed. And so I could go to, I knew I could, and even to this day, I still have many of them in my life. And I know that if I went to any one of them, they would be like, okay. And they would just listen to it. Maybe not even knowing what to say or knowing Mm -hmm. um, how to understand, but just being there Mm -hmm. was enough. And I can't say enough about having trusted people that are safe that can help you walk through that. Very true. And those of of you who are listening, if you know a child who you believe could be in a bad situation, and perhaps it's the same situation that that you are in, and you want to reach out for some help and some support to begin to lead you through to this process of surviving, of being on the other end, um, DASIS is always available. We have an 800 number, 800-828-2023, as well as our uh, web page, dasismi.org, um, and wonderful therapists and advocates who are there ready to help you work through a lot of the things that uh, you may be dealing with. So thank you so much for joining us today and being willing to share your story. I'm sure you've got some wonderful adventures and excellent things about to happen for your future as well and, and being able to, to know a past and recover from a past that you did not create has got to lend hope to others. So, I hope so. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. 
We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.